Section 17, Chapter 15 of Belinda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tara Mendoza. Belinda by Maria Edgeworth. Section 17, Chapter 15 Jealousy. Crescent Bath, July, Wednesday. My dear niece, I received safely the bank-notes for my two hundred guineas, enclosed in your last. But you should never trust unnecessarily in this manner to the post. Always, when you are obliged to send bank-notes by post, cut them in two, and send half by one post and half by another. This is what is done by all prudent people. Prudence, whether in trifles or in matters of consequence, can be learned only by experience, which is often too dearly bought, or by listening, which costs nothing, to the suggestions of those who have a thorough knowledge of the world. A report has just reached me concerning you and a certain lord, which gives me the most heartfelt concern. I always knew and told you that you were a great favourite with the person in question. I depended on your prudence, delicacy and principles, to understand this hint properly and I trusted that you would conduct yourself accordingly. It is too plain, from the report alluded to, that there has been some misconduct, of mismanagement somewhere. The misconduct I cannot, the mismanagement I must, attribute to you, my dear. For let a man's admiration for any woman be ever so great, unless she suffer herself to be dazzled by vanity, or unless she be naturally of an inconsiderate temper she can surely prevent his partiality from becoming so glaring as to excite envy envy is always to be dreaded by handsome young women as being sooner or later infallibly followed by scandal of this i fear you have not been sufficiently aware and you see the consequences consequences which to a female of genuine delicacy or of real good sense must be extremely alarming men of contracted minds and cold tempers who are absolutely incapable of feeling generous passion for our sex are often unaccountably ambitious to gain the reputation of being well with any woman whose beauty accomplishments or connections may have brought her into fashion whatever affection may be pretended this is frequently the ultimate and sole object of these selfish creatures whether or not the person I have in my eye deserves to be included in this class, I will not presume positively to determine, but you, who have personal opportunities of observation, may decide this point, if you have any curiosity on the subject, by observing whether he most affects to pay his devoirs to you in public or in private. If the latter be the case, it is the most dangerous, because a man, even the most contracted understanding, has always sense or instinct enough to feel that the slightest taint in the reputation of the woman who is, or who is to be, his wife, would affect his own private peace, or his honour in the eyes of the world. A husband, who has in a first marriage been, as it is said, in constant fear, both of matrimonial subjugation and disgrace, would in his choice of a second lady, be peculiarly nice, and probably tardy. Any degree of favour that might have been shown him, any report that may have been raised, and above all, any restraint he might feel himself under from implied engagement, 
or from the discovery or reputation of superior understanding and talents in the object beloved would operate infallibly against her to the confusion of all her plans and the ruin of once of her reputation her peace of mind and her hopes of an establishment nay supposing the best that could possibly happen that after playing with the utmost dexterity this desperate game the pool were absolutely your own yet if there were any suspicions of unfair play buzzed about amongst the bystanders you would not in the main be a gainer for my dear without character what is even wealth or all that wealth can bestow i do not mean to trouble you with the stale wise sayings which young people hate nor must morality which is seldom fit for use in the world or which smells too bad of books to be brought into good company this is not my way of giving advice but i only beg you to observe what actually passes before your eyes in the circle in which we live ladies of the best families with rank and fortune and beauty and fashion and everything in their favour cannot as yet in this country dispense with the strictest observance of the rules of virtue and decorum some have fancied themselves raised so high above the vulgar as to be in no danger from the thunder and lightning of public opinion but these ladies in the clouds have found themselves mistaken they have been blasted and have fallen nobody knows where what has become of lady blank and the countess of blank and others i could mention who were as high as envy could look i remember seeing the countess of blank who was then the most beautiful creature my eyes ever beheld and the most admired that ever was heard of come into the opera-house and sit the whole night in her box without any woman speaking or curtsying to her or taking any more notice of her than you would of a post or a beggar-woman even a coronet cannot protect a woman you see from disgrace if she falls she and it and all together are trampled under foot but why should I address all this to my dear niece? Whither have the terror and confusion I was grown into by this strange report about you and Lord Blank led me? And yet one cannot be too cautious. Scandal never stops after the first word, unless she be instantly gagged by a dexterous hand. Nothing shall be wanting on my part, but you alone are the person who can do anything effectual. Do not imagine that I would have you quit Lady Blank. That is the first idea, I know, that will come into your silly little head, but put it out directly. If you were upon this attack to quit the field of battle, you yield the victory to your enemies. To leave Lady Blank's house would be folly and madness. As long as she is your friend, or appears such, all is safe. But any coolness on your part would, in the present circumstances, be death to your reputation and even if you were to leave her on the best terms possible the malicious world would say that you left her on the worst and would assign as a reason the report alluded to people who have not yet believed it would then conclude that it must be true and thus by your cowardice you would furnish an incontrovertible argument against your innocence i therefore desire that you will not upon any account think of coming home to me at present indeed I hope your own good sense would prevent you from wishing it, after the reasons that I have given. Far from quitting Lady Blank from false delicacy, it is your business, from consideration for her peace as well as your own, to redouble your attentions to her in private, and above all things to appear as much as possible with her in public. I am glad to hear her health is so far re-established that she can appear again in public, 
Her spirits, as you may hint, will be the better for a little amusement. Luckily, you have it completely in your power to convince her and all the world of the correctness of your mind. I believe I certainly should have fainted, my dear, when I first heard this shocking report, if I had not just afterward received a letter from Sir Philip Badley which revived me. His proposal at this crisis for you, my dear, is a charming thing. You have nothing to do but to encourage his addresses immediately. The report dies away of itself, and all is just as your best friends wish. Such an establishment for you, my dear, is indeed beyond the most sanguine expectations. Sir Philip hints in his letter that my influence might be wanting with you in his favour, but this surely cannot be. As I have told him, he is merely mistaken, becoming a female reserve for a want of sensibility on your part, which would be equally unnatural and absurd. Do you know, my dear, that Sir Philip Badley has an estate of fifteen thousand a year in Wiltshire, and his uncle Barton's estate in Norfolk will, in due time, pay his debts? Then as to family— Look in the list of baronets in your pocket-book, and surely, my love, an old baronetage in actual possession is worth something more than the reversion of a new coronet. Supposing that such a thing could properly be thought of, which heaven forbid, so I see no possible objection to Sir Philip, my dear Belinda, and I am sure you have too much candour and good sense to make any childish or romantic difficulties. Sir Philip is not, I know, a man of what you call genius. So much the better, my dear." Those men of genius are dangerous husbands. They have so many oddities and eccentricities, there is no managing them. Though they are mighty pleasant men in company to enliven conversation, for example, your favourite, Clarence Hervey. As it is well known, he is not a marrying man. You never can have thought of him. You are not a girl to expose yourself to the ridicule, etc., of all your female acquaintance by romance and nonsense. I cannot conceive that a niece of mine would degrade herself by a mean prepossession for a man who has never made any declaration of his attachment to her, and who, I am sure, feels no such attachment. That you may not deceive yourself, it is fit, I should tell you, what otherwise it might not be so proper to mention to a young lady, that he keeps and has kept a mistress for some years, and those who are most intimately in his confidence have assured me that if ever he marries anybody, he will marry this girl, which is not possible, considering that she is, they say, the most beautiful young creature that ever was seen, and he a man of genius. If you have any sense or spirit, I have said enough. So, adieu. Let me hear, by return of the post, that everything is going on as it should do. I am impatient to write to your sister, Tolemac, this good news. I always foretold that my Belinda would marry better than her sister, or any of her cousins, and take place of them all. Are you not obliged to me for sending you this winter to town to Lady Blank? It was an admirable hit. Pray tell Lady Delacour, with my best compliments, that our aloe friend, her ladyship will understand me, cheated a gentleman of my acquaintance the other day at Casino out of seventy guineas. He hates the sight of her odious red wig as much now as we always did. I knew, and told Lady D, as she will do me the justice to remember, that Mrs. Blank cheated at play. What a contemptible character! Pray, my dear, do not forget to tell Lady Delacour that I have a charming anecdote for her, about another friend of ours, who has lately gone over to the enemy. Has her ladyship seen a manuscript that is handed about as a great secret, and said to be by Blank, a parallel between our friend and the Chevalier d'Eon? It is done with the infinite wit and humour in the manner of Plutarch. 
I would send a copy, but I'm afraid my frank would be too heavy if I began upon another sheet. So once more, adieu, my dear niece. Write to me without fail, and mention Sir Philip. I have written to him to give him my approbation, etc. Yours sincerely, Selina Stanhope. "'Mrs. Stanhope seems to have written you a volume instead of a letter, Miss Portman,' cried Lady Delacour, as Belinda turned over the sheets of her aunt's long epistle. She did not attempt to read it regularly through. Some passages here and there were sufficient to astonish and shock her extremely. "'No bad news, I hope,' said Lady Delacour, again looking up from her writing at Belinda, who sat motionless, leaning her head upon her hand, as if deep in thought. Mrs. Stanhope's unfolded letter hanging from her hand— in the midst of the variety of embarrassing, painful, and alarming feelings excited by this letter, she had sufficient strength of mind to adhere to her resolution of speaking the exact truth to Lady Delacour, when she was roused by her ladyship's question, "'No bad news, I hope, Miss Portman?' She instantly answered, with all the firmness she could command, "'Yes. My aunt has been alarmed by a strange report which I heard myself for the first time this morning from Mr. Hervey. I am sure—' I am much obliged to him for having the courage to speak the truth to me. Here she repeated what Mr. Hervey had said to her. Lady Delacour never raised her eyes whilst Belinda spoke, but went on scratching out some words in what she was writing. Through the mask of paint which she wore no change of colour could be visible, and as Belinda did not see the expression of her ladyship's eyes, she could not in the least judge of what was passing in her mind. "'Mr. Hervey has acted like a man of honour and sense.' said Lady Delacour. But it is a pity, for your sake, he did not speak sooner. Before this report became so public, before it reached Bath and your aunt, though it could not surprise her much, as she has such a perfect knowledge of the world, and— Lady Delacour uttered these broken sentences in a voice of suppressed anger, cleared her throat several times, and at last, unable to speak, stopped short, and then began with much precipitation to put wafers into several notes that she had been writing. So it has reached Bath, thought she. The report is public. I never till now heard of a hint of any such thing except from Sir Philip Baddeley. But it has doubtless been the common talk of the town, and I am laughed at as a dupe and an idiot as I am. And now, when the thing can be concealed no longer, she comes to me with that face of simplicity— and knowing my generous temper, throws herself on my mercy, and trusts that her speaking to me with this audacious plainness will convince me of her innocence. "'You have acted in the most prudent manner possible, Miss Portman,' said her ladyship, as she went on sealing her notes, "'by speaking at once to me of this strange, scandalous, absurd report. Do you act from your Aunt Stanhope's advice, or entirely from your own judgment and knowledge of my character?' from my own judgment and knowledge of your character, in which I hope I am not. I cannot be mistaken, said Belinda, looking at her with a mixture of doubt and astonishment. No, you calculated admirably. Twas the best, the only thing you could do. Only, said her ladyship, falling back in her chair with an hysteric laugh, only the blunder of Chamfort and the entrance of my Lord Delacour, and the hammercloth with the orange and black fringe, "'Forgive me, my dear, for the soul of me I can't help laughing. "'It was rather unlucky, so awkward, such a contradempt. "'But you,' added she, wiping her eyes, as if recovering from laughter, "'you have such admirable presence of mind. "'Nothing disconcerts you. 
you are equal to all situations, and stand in no need of such long letters of advice from your Aunt Stanhope, pointing to the two folio sheets which lay at Belinda's feet. The rapid, unconnected manner in which Lady Delacour spoke, the hurry of her motions, the quick, suspicious, angry glances of her eye, her laugh, her unintelligible words, all conspired at this moment to give Belinda the idea that her intellects were suddenly disordered. She was so firmly persuaded of her ladyship's utter indifference to Lord Delacour that she never conceived the possibility of her being actuated by the passion of jealousy, by the jealousy of power, a species of jealousy which she had never felt and could not comprehend. But she had sometimes seen Lady Delacour in starts of passion that seemed to border on insanity, and the idea of her losing all command of her reason now struck Belinda with irresistible force. She felt the necessity of preserving her own composure, and with all the calmness that she could assume, she took up her Aunt Stanhope's letter, and looked for the passage in which Mrs. Luttridge and Harriet Freke were mentioned. "'If I can turn the course of Lady Delacour's mind,' thought she, "'or catch her attention, perhaps she will recover herself.' "'Here is a message to you, my dear Lady Delacour,' cried she, "'from my Aunt Stanhope about Mrs. Luttridge.' Miss Portman's hand trembled as she turned over the pages of the letter. "'I am all attention,' said Lady Delacour, with a composed voice. "'Only take care. Don't make a mistake. I'm in no hurry. Don't read anything Mrs. Stanhope might not wish. It is dangerous to garble letters, almost as dangerous as to snatch them out of a friend's hand as I once did, you know. But you need not now be under the least alarm.' Conscious that this letter was not fit for her ladyship to see— Belinda neither offered to show it to her, nor attempted any apology for her reserve and embarrassment, but hastily began to read the message relative to Mrs. Lutridge, her voice gaining confidence as she went on, as she observed that she had fixed Lady Delacour's attention, who now sat listening to her calm and motionless. But when Miss Portman came to the words, "'Do not forget to tell Lady D that I have a charming anecdote for her about another friend of hers, who lately went over to the enemy,' Her ladyship exclaimed with great vehemence, "'Friend! Harriet Freak! Yes, like all other friends, Harriet Freak! What was she compared to? Tis too much for me, too much!' And she put her hand to her head. "'Compose yourself, my dear friend,' said Belinda, in a calm, gentle tone, and she went toward her with an intention of soothing her by caresses. But at her approach Lady Delacour pushed the table on which she had been writing from her with violence, started up, flung back the veil which fell over her face as she rose, and darted upon Belinda a look which fixed her to the spot where she stood. It said, "'Come, not a step nearer, at your peril!' Belinda's blood ran cold. She had no longer any doubt that this was insanity. She shut the penknife which lay upon the table, and put it into her pocket. "'Cowardly creature!' cried Lady Delacour, and her countenance changed to the expression of ineffable contempt." "'What is it you fear?' "'That you should injure yourself. "'Sit down, for heaven's sake, listen to me, "'to your friend, to Belinda.' "'My friend, my Belinda!' cried Lady Delacour, "'and she turned from her and walked away some steps in silence. "'Then, suddenly clasping her hands, "'she raised her eyes to heaven with a fervent "'but wild expression of devotion, and exclaimed, "'Great God of heaven, my punishment is just!' The death of lawless is avenged. May the present agony of my soul expiate my folly of guilt, deliberate guilt, of hypocrisy, treachery I have not, 
oh never may i have to repent she paused her eyes involuntarily returned upon belinda oh belinda you who i have loved so loved so trusted the tears rolled fast down her painted cheeks she wiped them hastily away and so roughly that her face became a strange and ghastly spectacle unconscious of her disordered appearance she rushed past belinda who vainly attempted to stop her threw up the sash and stretching herself far out the window gasped for breath miss portman drew her back and closed the window saying the rouge is all off your face my dear lady delacour you are not fit to be seen sit down upon this sofa and i will ring for mariette and get some fresh rouge look at your face in this glass you see i see interrupted lady delacour looking full at belinda that she who i thought had the noblest of souls has the meanest i see that she is incapable of feeling rouge not fit to be seen at such a time as this to talk to me in this manner oh niece of mrs stanhope dupe dupe that i am she flung herself upon the sofa and struck her forehead with her hand violently several times belinda catching her arm and holding it with her force cried in a tone of authority command yourself lady delacour i conjure you or you will go out of your senses and if you do your secret will be discovered by the whole world hold me not you have no right cried lady delacour struggling to free her hand all powerful as you are in this house you have no longer any power over me i am not going out of my senses you cannot get me into bedlam all powerful all artful as you are you have done enough to drive me mad but i am not mad no wonder you cannot believe me no wonder you are astonished at the strong expression of feelings that are foreign to your nature no wonder that you mistake the writhings of the heart the agony of a generous soul for madness look not so terrified i will do you no injury do not you hear that i can lower my voice do not you see that i can be calm could mrs stanhope herself could you miss portman speak in a softer milder polite more proper tone than i do now are you pleased are you satisfied i am better satisfied a little better satisfied said belinda that's well but still you tremble there's not the least occasion for apprehension you see i can command myself and smile upon you oh do not smile in that horrid manner why not horrid don't you love deceit i detest it from my soul indeed said lady delacour still speaking in the same low soft unnatural voice then why do you practise it my love i never practised it for a moment i am incapable of deceit when you are really calm when you can really command yourself you will do me justice lady delacour but now it is my business if i can to bear with you you are goodness itself and gentleness and prudence personified you know perfectly how to manage a friend whom you fear you have driven just to the verge of madness but tell me good gentle prudent miss portman why need you dread so much that i should go mad you know if i went mad nobody would mind nobody would believe whatever i say i should be no evidence against you and i should be out of your way sufficiently shouldn't i and you would have all the power in your own hands would not you and would not this be almost as well as if i were dead and buried no your calculations are better than mine the poor mad wife would still be in your way would yet stand between you and the fond object of your secret soul a coronet as she pronounced the word coronet 
she pointed to a coronet set in diamonds on her watch-case which lay on the table then suddenly seizing the watch she dashed it upon the marble hearth with all her force vile bubble cried she must i lose my only friend for such a thing as you oh belinda do you see that a coronet cannot confer happiness i have seen it long i pity you from the bottom of my soul said belinda bursting into tears pity me not i cannot endure your pity treacherous woman cried lady delacour and she stamped with a look of rage most perfidious of women yes call me perfidious treacherous stamp at me say do what you will i can and will bear it all all patiently for i am innocent and you are mistaken and unhappy said belinda you will love me when you return to your senses then how can i be angry with you fondle me not said lady delacour starting back from belinda's caresses do not degrade yourself to no purpose i never more can be your dupe your protestations of innocence are wasted on me i am not so blind as you imagine dupe as you think me i have seen much in silence the whole world you find suspects you now to save your reputation you want my friendship you want i want nothing from you lady delacour said belinda you have suspected me long in silence then i have mistaken your character i can love you no longer farewell for ever find another a better friend she walked away from lady delacour with proud indignation but before she reached the door she recollected her promise to remain with this unfortunate woman is a dying woman in the paroxysm of insane passion a fit object of indignation thought belinda and she stopped short no lady delacour cried she i will not yield to my humour i will not listen to my pride a few words said in the heat of passion shall not make me forget myself or you you have given me your confidence i am grateful for it i cannot will not desert you my promise is sacred your promise said lady delacour contemptuously i absolve you from your promise unless you find it convenient to yourself to remember it pray let it be forgotten and if i must die at this instant the door opened suddenly and little helena came in singing merrily merrily shall we live now under the blossom that hangs on the bough what comes next miss portman lady delacour dragged her veil across her face and rushed out of the room what is the matter is mamma ill yes my dear said belinda but at this instant she heard the sound of lord delacour's voice upon the stairs she broke from the little girl and with the greatest precipitation retreated to her own room she had not been alone above an hour before mariette knocked at the door miss portman you don't know how late it is lady singleton and the miss singletons are come but merciful heaven exclaimed mariette as she entered the room what is all this packing up what is this trunk i am going to oakley park with lady anne percival said belinda calmly i thought there was something wrong my mind misgave me all the time i was dressing my lady she was in such a flutter and never spoke to me i'd lay my life this is some way or other mrs champfort's doing but good dear miss portman can you leave my poor lady when she wants you so much and i'll take upon me to say ma'am loves you so much at the bottom of her heart dear me how your face is flushed pray let me pack up these things if it must be 
but I do hope, if it be possible, that you should stay. However, I've no business to speak. I beg pardon for being so impertinent. I hope you won't take a deal. It is only from regard to my poor lady I ventured to speak. Your regard to your lady deserves the highest approbation of Marriott, said Belinda. It is impossible that I should stay with her any longer. When I am gone, good Marriott, and when her health and strength decline, your fidelity and your services will be absolutely necessary to your mistress. And from what I have seen of the goodness of your heart, I am convinced that the more she is in want of you, the more respectful will be your attention. Mariette answered only by her tears, and went on packing up in a great hurry. Nothing could equal Lady Delacour's astonishment when she learnt from Mariette that Miss Portman was actually preparing to leave the house. After a moment's reflection, however, she persuaded herself that this was only a new artifice to work upon her affections, that Belinda did not mean to leave her, but that she would venture all lengths in hope of being at the last moment pressed to stay. Under this persuasion, Lady Delacour resolved to disappoint her expectations. She determined to meet her with that polite coldness which would best become her own dignity, and which, without infringing the laws of hospitality, would effectually point out to the world that Lady Delacour was no dupe, and that Miss Portman was an unwelcome inmate in her house. The power of assuming gaiety when her heart was a prey to the most poignant feelings she had completely acquired by long practice. With the promptitude of an actress, she could instantly appear upon the stage, and support a character totally foreign to her own. The loud knocks at the door which announced the arrival of company were signals that operated punctually upon her associations, and to this species of conventional necessity her most violent passions submitted with magical clarity. Fresh, rouged, and beautifully dressed, she was performing her part to a brilliant audience in her drawing-room when Belinda entered. Belinda beheld her with much astonishment, but more pity. "'Miss Portman,' said her ladyship, turning carelessly towards her, "'where do you buy your rouge? Lady Singleton, would you rather at this moment be mistress of the philosopher's stone, or have a patent for rouge that will come and go like Miss Portman's? Apropos, have you read St. Leon?' Her ladyship was running on to a fresh train of ideas, when a footman announced the arrival of Lady Anne Percival's carriage and Miss Portman rose to depart. "'You dine with Lady Anne, Miss Portman, I understand. My compliments to her ladyship, and my duty to Mrs. Margaret Delacour and her macaw. Au revoir. Though you talk of running away from me to Oakley Park, I am sure you will do no such cruel thing. I am with all due humility so confident of the irresistible attractions of this house that I defy Oakley Park and all its charms. So, Miss Portman, instead of adieu, I shall only say au revoir.' Adieu, Lady Delacour, said Belinda, with a look and tone which struck her ladyship to the heart. All her suspicions, all her pride, all her affected gaiety vanished. Her presence of mind forsook her, and for some moments she stood motionless and powerless. Then recollecting herself, she flew after Miss Portman abruptly, stopped her at the head of the stairs, and exclaimed, "'My dearest Belinda, are you gone? My best, my only friend!' Say you are not gone for ever. Say you will return. Adieu, repeated Belinda. It was all she could say. She broke from Lady Delacour and hurried out of the house with the strongest feeling of compassion for this unhappy woman, but with an unaltered sense of the propriety and necessity of her own firmness. End of section seventeen, chapter fifteen. Recording by Tara Mendoza. 
Phoenix, Arizona, May 2011